0: In Alhamdalilla, Nahmedu and Esterino, who are Nestor Ferro, when I do villa him in Sharuri and Fusina, women say ye ate Armalina, many hedilla who feller muddilla, women you the real feller had the other, wash Hadon La, Illa, who wached the Hula Sharikala, wash Hadon Mohammed and Abedu or Amma bad. So we began looking at the Hadith of Jibreel last week. And we started the beginning section of that, where we mentioned that Jibreel, السلام, he came to the Prophet Wasallam in the form of a man. And as we said, the angels, they are able to take the form of humans. So Jibreel ﷺ on this occasion, as he would do typically and normally, took the form of a man in the appearance of a man with white clothes and dark hair. And he came to the Prophet ﷺ, and he sat next to him, and he asked him certain questions. So the first question that Jibreel asked the Prophet ﷺ was, أَخْبِرْنِي عَنِ الْإِسْلَامِ Tell me about Islam. And so the Prophet ﷺ clarified the meaning of Islam, i.e. those five pillars of Islam. The head of those pillars being the testification that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah, and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Then after that, the establishment of the prayer, and then also the fasting of Ramadan, and also the zakat and the hajj for the one who is able. Then after that, Jibreel he asked the Prophet a a second question. And the second question was, أَخْبِرْنِي عَنِ الْإِيمَانِ Tell me about Iman. Tell me about Iman. So the Prophet ﷺ answered by saying, الْإِيمَانَ أَن تُؤْمِنَ بِاللَّهِ وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ وَكُتُبِهِ وَرُسُلِهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَأَن تُؤْمِنَ بِالْقَدْرِ خَيْرِهِ وَشَرِّهِ That Iman is that you have Iman in Allah, and you have Iman in His angels, and you have Iman in His books, and Iman in His prophets, and Iman in the Day of Judgment, and that you have Iman in the decree, it's good and it's bad. Those are the six pillars of Iman. When we speak about a believer having Iman, and a Muslim having Iman, then these are the six pillars, the six aspects of that Iman. Firstly, it is mentioned that Iman, it, its definition includes various things. What do we mean by Iman? They are the six pillars that we have mentioned, but how do you practice Iman? There are various ways. And the Salaf, Ahl al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah, they have mentioned that the definition of Iman, it encompasses three things. As it is mentioned by many scholars, particularly in the modern times, as an easy way of explaining what Iman is, then it is mentioned that Iman encompasses three things. It is belief in the heart belief in your heart that is a part of iman but that is not it by itself belief in the heart iman in the heart by itself is not it that's one part of it another part of iman is the statements upon your tongue the statements upon your tongue the supplication the recitation etc and another part of iman the third part is actions on your limbs actions and behavior that you do the obedience and the worship that you do upon your limbs physically is also a part of iman and that is why the scholars they say that it is the statement of the tongue belief in the heart and actions of the limbs and Iman increases and it decreases. So if you want to have a definition of Iman, then you can think that there are six pillars to it. Belief in Allah, in the angels, in the books, in the prophets, in the Day of Judgment, and in the decree, then you must also remember that Iman, it has different aspects to it. Iman in the heart, Iman upon the tongue, and Iman upon the limbs. In the heart, in terms of your aqeedah, your belief in your heart. On your uh, tongue, the supplications and what you recite and what you say with your tongue. And similarly, the actions of the limbs, your obedience and the actions that you do, the worship that you do, is a part of your iman. That definition is the correct definition that Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah have explained regarding iman. Some of the people however, they said that iman, it is belief in the heart and maybe even statements of the tongue. But they said your actions are not a part of your iman. Your worship is not a part of your iman. Some of the people of innovation and the people of desires and misguidance, the philosophers and others similar to them, they made this statement that your actions and your obedience is not a part of your iman. And that is false. Your actions and your obedience and the worship that you do physically is a part of your iman. And there are many narrations in the Quran and the Sunnah that prove that. One of them is the hadith of the Prophet. And this hadith also actually proves that Iman it goes up and it goes down. Sometimes maybe a person he is obedient and he's worshipping Allah and so he feels in his heart that his iman is stronger. But in other times, it could be the case that the person, he becomes isolated from the worship of Allah, or that he becomes weak in the worship of Allah, and he feels in himself that his Iman has decreased, and his Iman is weak. So sometimes a person's Iman may be high and strong, and sometimes a person's Iman may be weak and low, and that is possible, and it occurs that the Iman of the people, it increases and it decreases. That again is in opposition to the people of misguidance. Some of them they say that iman doesn't increase and decrease. Some of those individuals they used to make that claim and that is false. Iman it increases and it decreases. So here we have an evidence for that which is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ which is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. al imanu bid'un wa sab'una aw bid'un wa sittuna فَأَفْضَلُهَا قَوْلُ لَا إِلَٰهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَدْنَاهَا إماتة الْأَذَى عَنِ الطَّرِيقِ وَالْحَيَاءُ شُعْبَةٌ مِّنَ الْإِيمَانِ The Prophet said that Iman is 70 odd or 60 odd levels. Iman is 60 odd or 70 odd levels. The highest of those levels Alaha or in this narration of Daluha, the best of those levels of iman is the statement of a person, La ilaha illallah, that a person he is upon the aqidah of tawheed. He is upon the belief of tawheed, as we explained. He accepts and he affirms and acknowledges and practices that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. That is the greatest level of iman. For a person who dies upon that tawheed. That is why Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, أَلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَلَمْ يَلْبِسُوا إِيمَانَهُمْ wahum That those people who have iman, then they do not mix their iman with shirk. They have iman and they do not mix their iman with oppression. The meaning of oppression here is shirk. Then those people will have the security and the safety. They are the ones who will be guided, and they are the ones who will have the uh, security of entering into paradise in the hereafter. That is the highest level of Iman, the Tawheed. That is the basis of the religion. Then the lowest level of Iman, the Prophet wasallam mentions here, اِمَاطَةُ الْأَذَى Anit tariq To remove something harmful from the pathway. Upon the pathway, upon the road, then you notice something that is an obstacle, something which is uh, potentially going to cause problems for people walking upon that pathway. So you remove this obstacle, you remove this object out of the pathway, then that action of yours of removing this harm from the pathway of the people is an act of iman. And that act of removing something from the pathway, is it physical or not? You have to physically move it or not? It's physical. So this indicates that your physical actions are a part of your iman. So therefore, iman it increases and iman it decreases. Iman increases and iman decreases. The highest level of iman mentioned in this hadith is the tawheed. And the lowest level is mentioned that even if you remove something harmful out of the roadway so people are not harmed, then <coughs> that is an act of iman. There is another hadith that says, من فإن لم فإن لم فبقلبه وذلك That if one of you sees some evil, you see something evil occurring, then change it with your hand. See if you can physically stop that evil occurring. If that's not possible, then at least try to change it with your tongue. Speak to that person or do something with your tongue in terms of speech and statements to try to change that evil. And if you're not even able to do that, you're in a situation where it's not possible. Then at least hate that evil which is occurring in your heart. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, That, i.e., hating it in your heart at least, that's the lowest of Iman. So that indicates again that these various actions are different levels of Iman. In another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, At tahuru shatrul iman. Purification is half of your Iman. So that indicates physical actions of worship are a part of Iman. And this is why the scholars, they say that the more obedience that you do to Allah sincerely for the sake of Allah, then the more your Iman, it increases. And the more your Iman increases, that will mean you will want to do more, more what? More Ibadah, more worship. So you can see that there's a direct correlation the more worship you do, the more your iman increases. And the more your iman increases, the more worship you want to do. So in effect, they keep making each other go up. The more you worship, the more your iman goes up. The more your iman goes up, the more you want to worship. And the more you worship, the more your iman goes up even more. So each one keeps making the other one go up and up. The more worship you do, the more your Iman increases. The more your Iman increases, the even more worship you end up doing. And when you do that, the even more Iman increases. So they help each other. The more worship a person does, the obedience a person does to Allah, stays away from the sins and the wrongdoing, then the Iman increases. And if your Iman increases, then you want to do even more worship. And this is the good effects of the obedience to Allah. As for an individual... Who disobeys and sins against Allah Then that person, his iman may decrease It will decrease as a consequence of his sinning And his disobedience to Allah That sinning and disobedience will cause the iman to decrease But when iman increases Then that must mean you are doing Obedience to Allah If your iman is increasing and increasing, it must mean you are doing good worship to Allah. And if your iman decreases, then does that mean you must be doing sins? Yes or no? Everybody saying yes? No, You might not be doing worship. You might not be doing worship, but you might not be singing either. Yeah, but not as much worship. When your Iman decreases, it doesn't always necessarily mean you are sinning. It doesn't. It's possible sometimes that your Iman may decrease, even though you are not sinning. But the other way around, if your Iman increases, then you must be worshipping. If your Iman increases, then you must be worshipping and upon obedience. But if your Iman decreases, it doesn't necessarily mean that you must be doing the opposite, which is sins. Not always. Always. There's examples of that. The best example or one of the best examples to prove that, that sometimes your iman might decrease, but you're not sinning. You're not sinning, but it might still decrease sometimes. One of the ways or one of the examples of that is regarding the women. The women, when it comes to the cycle every month, when that time occurs, then the women are not allowed to pray and they are not allowed to fast. And that is the command of Allah upon the women in that time. But when they are not allowed to pray, and they are not allowed to fast, then it's possible in those few days, because they are not allowed to pray, they are not allowed to fast, they are not allowed to do those acts of worship, it's possible the iman from that angle, may decrease a little bit. Because they are not able to pray, and they are not able to fast, etc., they are not able to do these acts of worship at that time of the month. So it's possible from that angle, from them not being able to do these acts of worship, that their iman may decrease slightly. But is that decreasing of the iman in that instance for the women, mean they are sinning? Of course not. Of course not. They are not sinning, because that is a command that they are not supposed to pray. And it's a command they are not supposed to fast. So that indicates that maybe sometimes, the iman may decrease, but you're not sinning. But for many people, If the iman decreases, it will actually mean they are sinning. For many people, that will be the case. For many people, they will be sinning, and that's why their iman is decreasing. But just to remember that it doesn't always mean that you are sinning if the iman is decreasing. This fact that iman increases and decreases, it is mentioned in the sunnah in other narrations. There is one hadith where the Prophet ﷺ had a vision or a dream... And he saw that the people were wearing different lengths of clothing. The Thobes, these clothes. He saw in a dream that people were wearing different lengths. Some people, their clothing, it was only going up to their chests. That's it. Some people, their clothing, it was going down to their waists. Others down to their knees. And one person, his clothing was so long, he was dragging it behind him. The thobe, this type of clothing, this cloak, this cloth... It was so long, he was dragging it below him, behind him. Longer than his body length, longer than his feet, dragging it. So the companions, they asked the Prophet ﷺ, what does that dream mean? What's the interpretation of this vision that people were wearing different lengths of clothing? He said the interpretation of it is the iman of the people. Some people, they have only a small amount of iman, so it's as if their clothing only covers a part of their body. In that vision that he had, Some people, they have more iman, so the clothing is longer. And one person had such levels of iman so great, that the clothing was so long, he was dragging it behind him. And that was mentioned to be Amr ibn al-Khattab, in that narration. So this again indicates that the people are of different levels in their iman. Here, similarly, at the end of the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned الإيمان, that shyness, modesty, that is one of the levels of iman. That is a type of iman to have these good characteristics and humbleness and modesty and shyness. That is mentioned also in this hadith. فَإِنَّهُ لَيْسَ mu'min. <بِمُؤْمِن> so a person, the Shaykh says, who does not do any acts of worship. He doesn't worship Allah at all. Even though he has the ability. He has the ability to worship Allah, but he doesn't bother to do any worship at all. Shaykh al-Fawzan says, you can't call this person a mu'min then. You can't call this person a mu'min just like that. He doesn't do any acts of worship. He doesn't do any acts of obedience. Then you can't call this type of person a mu'min. He has the ability, but he doesn't bother. And in fact, somebody who leaves every type of action, he doesn't bother doing any worship at all, any obedience at all. Then it could even be said that this person is a disbeliever. أَمَّا مَن بَعْدَ الْعَمَلِ فَهَذَا قَدْ يكون كَافِرًا وَقَدْ الْإِيمَانِ Somebody who leaves some of the actions of Islam, that person may be a disbeliever depending on what he leaves, or he may just be deficient in his Iman. So the point being that Iman, it is belief in the heart, actions of the heart, it is actions of the tongue and the limbs, uh, action of the tongue and actions of the limbs. All of those factors, they come into what the Iman of a person it is. So then after having understood this, that Iman is in the heart and on the tongue and on the limbs, and that Iman, it increases and it decreases. Having understood those factors, we now look at these six pillars of Iman that are mentioned in this hadith. The first pillar of Iman that is mentioned is the Iman in Allah. And the Iman in Allah is the head of, Of all of the types of iman. The other five pillars, they go back to the top pillar. The other five pillars, they go back to the first one. Which is iman in Allah. Iman in Allah, which is the iman in the rububiyya of Allah. The uluhiya of Allah. The asma wa sifat. We mentioned this last time, the rububiyya of Allah. That you affirm and you believe that it is Allah alone who created the heavens and the earth and provides the sustenance and the provisions and the rain and controls life and death and controls everything on the earth. All of that Allah does it alone without any partners or any help. That's a part of your iman in Allah. Some people, they may even fall into error with that. They begin to believe these people in their graves, the awliya of Allah. They have power and they have ability. You can't have a child. They say go to such and such. He's a great Wali from the awliya of Allah, he'll make du'a for you, he'll get a child. They believe all of these types of things, he'll wipe you, he'll do this, he'll do that, you'll have a child. All of these things are in the control of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. That's a part of your iman in Allah, tawheed. Similarly the uluhiyya, that you're going to make all of your acts of worship, purely and sincerely to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not to any other deity besides Allah in any way, shape or form. This was the error that the Mushrikoon at the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi fell into. Those disbelievers at the time of the Prophet sallallahu they used to believe in rububiyah. They believed Allah is the creator and the sustainer and the provider and the controller, etc. But they did not believe that you have to make all of your worship purely for Allah. They used to split their worship between Allah and their other deities. That's why Allah mentioned in the Quran about them. They used to say, We don't worship them except for them to bring us closer to Allah. They used to think these idols of theirs can bring them closer to Allah. They used to say, These are our intercessors between us and Allah. This was their error, that they would go to the graves of the people and make dua to those people to help them. Or they would make dua to those people and ask them to take their dua to Allah. They would say, we're sinners, we can't make dua to Allah directly. We need to go to these pious people. Go to the grave of the Prophet and ask him to take your dua to Allah. That's false. That's shirk. Dua is made directly to Allah. How do we know that shirk? Because that's exactly what the mushrikun used to do. They used to go to the graves of pious people and ask them to take their dua to Allah. And Allah said they are disbelievers for doing that. So it's haram to do that. So this is uluhiyah, part of your iman in Allah, that every act of worship you do, you direct that sincerely to Allah, not to any other deity or any other middleman. The dua and the worship is done directly to Allah. The hadith it says, huwa al Ibadah. Dua, it's an act of worship, as are all of the other acts of worship. So they must be done sincerely and purely to Allah. This is a part of your Iman in Allah, the uluhiyah, that you single out every part of worship to Allah alone. Then the names and attributes is also a part of your Iman in Allah, that you believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the most perfect and beautiful of names and attributes, the most complete of the names and attributes, and that Allah has no deficiency whatsoever. There is no possibility of any deficiency to Allah whatsoever. And that's why even in the Quran, in the easiest of the surahs that everybody memorizes, Ulhu Allahu Say that Allah is one. There is no comparison or similarity. Allah is one and alone upon Tawheed. Ulhu Allahu Ahad. Allahu Samad A Samad. The one who all of the creation have to return back to. We all have to return to Allah and make our dua to Allah whenever we need anything. That's the meaning of As-Samad. Allah is the Samad. That means all of the creation we need to return back to Allah with our dua. We need to return back to Allah with our needs that we have. Qul Allahu ahad. Then, Allah is Samad, then, Lam He did not give birth and neither was He given birth to. Allah doesn't have any children or partners. That would be a deficiency and a weakness. So Allah frees Himself from any claim of having children or sons as the people they claimed about Him. As the Christians and the Jews and even the Mushrikeen. Even the Mushrikeen used to claim that Allah has daughters. They would say that the angels are the daughters of Allah, and that is a falsehood and a lie. The angels are not even female, let alone be daughters of Allah. So that was false claims and accusations, and Allah freed or clarified and refuted those claims that He was not born and neither did He give birth. Uh, and there is no kufu. A kufu is a partner or an equal or a Something that resembles, something that is similar, nothing. There is no resemblance, there is nothing similar, there is no comparison to Allah. All of this shows to you the Tawheed. That's why they call this surah, Suratul Ikhlas, the surah of sincerity. Sincerity to your iman in Allah, your Tawheed in Allah. So this is the head of all of the types of iman that a person has understanding of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and that a person understands who his creator is, uh, and who the creator of the heavens and earth is, understands the names and attributes of Allah, and only through understanding the names and attributes of Allah, will a person then be able to worship Allah even better. If you wish for your iman to increase, the scholars, they say, one of the best ways to increase your iman is to seek knowledge. The more knowledge you seek about the Qur'an and the Sunnah, the more you learn about the Qur'an and what Allah said, the more you learn about the Sunnah what the Prophet taught us. The more you learn about these things, the more you learn about the different names of Allah and what they mean, then the more your iman will increase. And that's why Allah said in the Qur'an, min al That the ones who truly fear Allah are the scholars, the people of knowledge, because they know about all of these things. They know about the names and attributes of Allah. They know how severe the punishment of Allah is. They know about all those things. That's why they have the greatest level of Iman and fear etc. So that is one of the greatest ways and this is the head of all of the Iman. To have that proper understanding of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Many of the people they don't even understand that. You ask them where is Allah they'll say everywhere. They'll say Allah is everywhere. How can Allah be everywhere? Does that mean what about the ground that we're walking on? Or the chairs that you're sitting on? What does that mean? It can't be that Allah is everywhere Himself. And we know that's not true because in the Quran Allah told us He is above. He's above the heavens, above the creation. (laughs) Then He rose above the throne. So Allah is above. Above all of the creation, separate from this creation. Not like some of the people, they say Allah is all of this creation together. We are all one and the same thing. We the creation and Allah the creator. We are all one and the same thing in this universe. That's wrong. Allah isn't part of this creation. That would be a deficiency. Allah is separate from the creation, above the creation. The most high. That's why you say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is the most high. Al-Aliyul-Azim. So Allah is above the creation. Yes, with Allah's knowledge and hearing and seeing, then Allah knows about everything. And He sees everything and He hears everything. But you don't say Allah Himself is everywhere. Because then what what about the floor and the table and the chair you're sitting on, and the dirty places, the toilets, etc. That would be incorrect to say Allah Himself is everywhere. Especially when Allah told us in the Qur'an, He is above the creation. In seven places in the Qur'an, Seven ayat in the Quran, Allah said, Then Allah went above the throne. And it's obvious anyway. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, ta'ala, he said, in one of his books, Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar, in that book he said, Laysa min an He said, it is not from the characteristics of the worship to Allah, it's not from the characteristics of worshipping Allah to make du'a downwards. Who would make du'a downwards? Would anybody in their right mind, making du'a, put their hands down to the ground and make du'a? Would anybody do that? Nobody would do that. When you make du'a, instantly everybody knows, naturally, everybody knows to raise their hands up to the skies. Why? Because naturally in your heart you understand Allah is above. Nobody in their heart would understand Allah's down. And Imam Abu Hanifa said it himself, it's not from the right thing to do, to worship Allah downwards, you worship Allah upwards. So this is the correct belief regarding Allah, that He is above all of the creation. But with His knowledge and His hearing and seeing, He knows about everything. But you don't say Allah Himself is everywhere. Allah said about Himself that He is above the creation. So this is the Iman in Allah, and that is the greatest thing. The first of these pillars of your Iman, when Jibreel asked the Prophet Sallallahu tell me about Iman, the first thing the Prophet Sallallahu said was, Iman in Allah. Because all of the other aspects, they return back to this. The Iman in Allah. Then after that, the second pillar. Al-Imanu Bil-Malaika Iman in the angels. Iman in the angels is another pillar of Iman that it is obligatory upon the Muslims to believe in. The angels are one of the creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are one of the creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just like Allah created the humans, and Allah created the jinn, and Allah created the angels, and there are three different entities of people. There are three different creations. In a hadith, in Sahih Muslim, the hadith of Aisha, Aisha radiyallahu anha, she narrated in a hadith that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Khulqat al-malaikatu min nur, wa khulq al-jannu min marjim min nahr, wa khulq wusifalakum." In this hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that the angels they were created from light. The angels were created from light. And the jinn, they were created from the smokeless fire. And Bani Adam, the people, they were created from that which are, that which has been described, the clay. So these were the three different types of creations that Allah made. One, the angels made from light. Another one, the jinn made from the smokeless fire. And another one, the humans, us, made from clay. So we believe that the angels are one of the creations of Allah and that they have been made from light. And these angels, they are various different types. They do various different jobs. All of this we have to believe in it as our Iman in the angels. The angels are various different types. They have different names, they have different jobs. So from some of the angels that are known to us and are famous, one of them is Jibreel alayhi salam. Jibreel alayhi salam, one of the great angels of Allah, the trustworthy one, is the angel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala entrusted with, bringing down the revelation. So Jibreel alayhi salam would bring down the revelation from Allah to the prophets and the messengers, up until the Prophet Muhammad also. So the Qur'an, how did the Qur'an come to us? Jibreel alayhi salam, He heard the Qur'an from Allah. Allah spoke the Qur'an. Allah didn't make the Qur'an. Allah didn't create the Qur'an. That's an important thing to remember. Allah didn't create the Qur'an. Allah spoke the Qur'an. And Jibreel heard that. Jibreel heard the Qur'an from Allah. This is mentioned in the Qur'an Sunnah. Mentioned in various narrations and evidences. Jibreel heard the Qur'an from Allah. Then he came and taught the Prophet ﷺ exactly as he heard it. That's the Qur'an. This is what Jibreel ﷺ used to do, to bring down the revelation. That's one of the angels. Similarly, there is Mikail. Mikail ﷺ, another one of the angels, موَكَّلٌ بِالْقَطَرِ وَالنَّبَاتِ Mikail ﷺ, he has been entrusted with the duty of rainfall and vegetation and these types of foods that we need to live, rainfall and vegetation coming out, and those types of affairs, then that is the duty of uh, Mikael Salam. Israfil, another one of the angels, Israfil Salam. his duty is what? To blow the horn on the Day of Judgment, when the hour is established then it is known that the horn is going to be blown the horn will be blown by Israfil alayhi salam that is the angel that has been entrusted with the blowing of the horn so these three angels they have various jobs Jibril alayhi salam has the job of bringing life to the heart Jibril alayhi salam has the job of bringing life to the heart. Because life of the heart is what? The guidance from Allah, the revelation from Allah. So Jibreel (laughs) brought that down by the command of Allah to the Prophet That guidance of the heart, the life for the heart. (laughs) Mikail has the job of bringing life to the bodies. The rain and the fruit and the vegetations that we eat (laughs) to live. The job of Mikail is the life upon the earth and the bodies of the people. Israfil is another type of life, which is the life of the hereafter. The blowing of the horn, the people will die. And then when he blows the horn again, the second or the third time, the people will be resurrected. So that will be the afterlife. So these three angels all have jobs linked to life. Jibreel السلام, the life of the heart with the guidance he brings. From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mikael alayhi salam, the, guide, the uh, life of the earth and the vegetation, etc. And Israfil alayhi salam, the life of the hereafter after the blowing of the horn. There are other angels too. For example, Malakul Maut. Malakul Maut, which is the angel of death. What's another name for Malakul Maut? Israel. You heard of Israel? This is a name that some people they mention. However, it is not correct. The name Israel is mentioned by some people for the angel of death. It's in some weak narrations. and Many of the scholars have said it is not authentic. The name of the angel of death is Malak al The angel of death is Malak al the angel of death. Similarly, there are other angels. There is an angel or there are angels that are commanded to blow the soul into a person when he is born. Or even before he is born. When he's still in the mother's womb. In a hadith it says, "Inna ahadakum, We are going to get to this hadith later on. That one of you, the Prophet said 1400 years ago, When you are born, firstly you are in the womb of your mother. As a liquid. Then you are like a piece, uh, like a blood clot. Then you're like a piece of flesh. Then after that, malak Then whilst you're still in the womb of your mothers, an angel is sent, the Prophet says, فَيَنْفَخُ Then the angel blows the soul into that person. Blows the soul into that person. And then the angel is commanded to write down certain things regarding that person. That hadith we will come to later in more detail. But that's another type of angels, the ones who go and blow the souls into the people. Similarly, there are angels that write down our deeds. The angels that write down the deeds of the person, just like Allah said, وَإِنَّ عَلَيْكُمْ لَحَافِظِينَ كِرَامًا كَاتِبِينَ يَعْلَمُونَ مَا تَفْعَلُونَ That indeed we have upon you the noble guardians, and they are aware of what you are doing and they are writing. They are writing and they are aware of what you are doing. So the angels, they record all of our deeds, the good and the bad. So you can see that there are various different types of angels with different types of jobs. And that they are made from light. And that they do not disobey Allah ever. The angels, they always obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they never disobey Allah. The actual appearance of the angels, it's mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ saw Jibreel on two occasions and that Jibreel had 600 wings and it covered the whole of the horizon, the size of the angels. So they are great. In one narration it says that if a bird was to fly from the earlobe, To the shoulder of an angel It would take years and years Hundreds of years perhaps Hundreds of years For a bird to fly from the earlobe To the shoulder of an angel So that shows to you the strength And the power and the might and the size Of the angels How many are there? There are so many That it's impossible for us to count There is a narration that says That the angels in the heavens They pray and they make tawaf around this particular house in the heavens, Bayt al as it's mentioned. And that 70,000 go in every day. And when those 70,000 finish and they leave, another group of 70,000 is waiting to go in. When they finish and leave, another 70,000 is already waiting to go in. When they finish and leave, another 70,000 goes in. Once they've been in, they never get to come round again. There's so many 70,000 waiting to go in. Once they've been in, they'll never get another chance to come back in. So imagine the numbers of the angels. This is the army of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is what we believe in our iman in the angels. As for the disbelievers, the mushrikeen like we mentioned just now, they used to say that the angels are the daughters of Allah, and this is a lie. Allah mentioned this in the Quran that they would say, وَجَعَلُوا الْمَلَائِكَةَ al هُمْ عِبَادُ الرَّحْمَانِ inatha." that they made the angels who are the servants of Allah, the slaves of Allah, they made them into females. That's what they said. Amlahul Is it the case that the mushrikeen like to have sons for themselves, but they say Allah has daughters? It's known about the mushrikeen at that time. They used to kill their daughters. They used to dislike daughters. To the extent it is mentioned, authentically about the mushrikeen, that their daughters... It's mentioned about some of them when the daughters w- w- would grow up, if they had a daughter, they didn't want daughters. If they had a daughter and she grew up to the age of four or five, then they would make her wear her most beautiful clothes one day and they would take her out to the woods and say to her, let's go playing or something. This is mentioned about the mushrikeen. This is the ignorance they were in. The absolute ignorance of their ways. That they would go with their four, with their own daughter Four or five years old, with the most beautiful clothes on. They will take her out, go to the forest somewhere, pretend we're playing, and then there would be a hole that they've already dug. They've already dug it up. They would take her there, throw her in, and bury her alive. This is how they would be with their daughters. This was the mushrikeen. That's why it's mentioned in the Quran. If that girl that was killed alive in that way is asked, Why were you killed? What was the sin? This is mentioned about the mushrikeen, what they used to do. But then Allah mentions in the Qur'an that they used to attribute to Allah daughters. Even though they themselves used to hate the daughters. So Allah rebukes that and rejects that. And clarifies that there are no daughters. There are no daughters, sons, children, uh, partners or anything of the sort. To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah is free of all of those deficiencies. So this is our Iman in the angels in a nutshell, but we believe in all of those various different aspects. The third part after that is the Iman in the prophets. The Iman in the prophets. We know that the Iman in the prophets, it is also, uh, uh, in fact rather we should do the Iman in the books first. The Iman in the books. The Iman in the books first. الإيمان بأن الله أنزل على من وفيها على لأجل عن الباطل الناس. There are many books that Allah sent down. We know of the Quran, of course, that we have now. Before the Quran, there were multiple, many other books also that Allah sent down. In fact, some scholars even say that every single prophet and messenger had a book that was given to him. Some scholars say that. Every prophet and messenger had a book that was given to him. And these books that were given to the prophets and messengers, they were from Allah. They were revelation from Allah. These previous books before the Quran that were given to the prophets and messengers, we believe in them too. They were revelation from Allah. Some of the famous ones that we are aware of, the Injil, the Injil, which the Christians now call the New Testament, the Bible, the New Testament, the Torah, the Old Testament as they call it, the Torah uh, that was given to Musa alaihissalam, the Injil was given to Isa alaihissalam, <laughs> Zabur that was given to Dawud alaihissalam, these books they were revelation from Allah. However, those books were distorted over time. So the people, they added things to them, and they took away things from them. They rubbed out certain parts, they added other parts, so those books became changed and altered. Whereas the Qur'an, the final revelation, it does not change, it does not have anything added, or anything taken away. It is the original Qur'an that Jibreel brought to the Prophet and the Prophet taught the companions. The Qur'an is preserved and guarded by Allah It does not change or get altered or moved about in any way. Whereas these other books, they got changed. That's why now it's upon us to accept the Qur'an as the revelation, and those previous books are not possible to follow in that way. That's why the Prophet said, he said, even if Musa was alive now, he would have to follow me. He would have to be upon the revelation of the Qur'an and the sunnah of the Prophet Because the previous books now, they are abrogated or not to say abrogated, but those books are now under the Qur'an. The Qur'an now overwhelms all of those previous books. The Qur'an is above all of those previous books. And those previous books, they were changed and distorted and altered, but originally they were all revelation from Allah. They were speech of Allah. They were the speech of Allah, and revelation from Allah, so we believe in all of those books too. But practicing and implementing, then it is the Qur'an that you must now accept. Nobody can say now, that this person, he's a Jew and he's following the Torah. And so he should be okay. No, nobody can say this person's a Christian. He's following the Injil. You Muslims believe in the Injil. It was given to Isa salam by Allah. He's following that. You can't say that anymore. The Injil, the Torah, yes, they were books from Allah, but now they've been changed and distorted. And the Quran has come, which overcomes all of those previous books. So now you have to follow the Quran. You can't stick to the old books anymore. So this is the revelation of the books that we must also have Iman in. Um, The next section is slightly lengthier which is the Iman in the Prophets and the Messengers but that one we will start with next time. So far now we've done Iman in Allah, Iman in the Angels, Iman in the Books. Next time we'll finish off and do Iman in the Prophets and Messengers and Iman on the Day of Judgment. Those sections inshaAllah will begin with from next week at the same time, approximately 7.15 p.m. insha'Allah ta'ala. If there's any questions now, we can quickly take them. Otherwise, we'll conclude upon that point. وَصَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَى مِنَا مُحَمَّدَ عَالَهِ wa اَجْمَعِينَ JazakAllah khair, for your efforts. You mention about the people who believe that uh, they can go on the graves of Sohban, wali Allah, and ask them for help. That's hmm. procedure to share. Hmm. And make those people an imam in masjid. And no. People who go to graves and they believe these people in the graves are awliya of Allah. Maybe they are awliya of Allah. Maybe, that doesn't matter. But if they go there and they tell people you have to go there, make dua there to these people, and they will get your dua to go to Allah, and they will do intercession for you, shafa'a. They will do all these things for you. Those types of people who have these beliefs, don't pray behind them. This is the fatwa of Sheikh bin Baz and other scholars. People who believe this, it's false. It's haram to go to the graves and make dua to them. Allah says in the Quran, I am close, I answer the dua of the one who calls upon me. Not that you go to these other people and make dua via them. Those people themselves are more concerned about their own state. They are more concerned about what they are going to get, punishment or blessings or what. No evidence in the Quran says... You go to other people and ask them to take your dua to Allah. Allah says, Make your dua directly to Him. In the hadith, when Allah says He descends in the last third of the night to the lowest heaven, lowest heaven, He descends, and Allah says, Man Who is asking me, I will give it to them. Man who is seeking my forgiveness, I will give it to them. Not who is asking me via my other awliya and I will answer their dua. You ask Allah, you make your repentance. Even if a person says, I have so many sins, how will Allah answer my dua? Allah says in the Quran, even if you have so many sins, Ya ibadi illadina asrafu anfuzim, La taqana rahmatillah. Oh my slaves, Allah says, the ones who have done sins and done so many wrong things, don't be sad. Don't be worried that Allah will not forgive. Allah forgives the sins. So even if a person has made mistakes and errors and wrong things, make the dua to Allah, repent to Allah directly, and Allah answers the dua. Not that you say I've got sin so I can't make dua, I have to go to these people in the graves. That's wrong, haram. You know the salaf? The salaf, the companions, they used to not like anybody to stand at the grave of the Prophet ﷺ make dua ever. They used to say, don't stand there, go somewhere else and make dua. When you go to the grave, they say, okay, give salam. Give the salam to the Prophet to Abu Bakr, to Umar, give the salam. As soon as you've done that, walk away. Go somewhere else and make dua. They didn't used to like for people to stand there and make dua. Because they know some people who don't know, they might see that and think, ah, maybe they're making dua to the Prophet So this is not light. Anybody who has this opinion, this aqidah, it's not permissible to pray behind them. Can you continue with that? This is one of the core beliefs of Deoban, which are taught in their madaris, which is written in their books. And We have got massages around here, and brothers go and pray behind them saying that it's permissible to pray because they don't do shit, they have got the sakisa of a bit. Well, it that's depends. Their, yeah. That's their core belief, that's their thought, their belief, even they believe the prophets are alive in the grave and they can go on the grave and talk to them. No, if the, if this is the belief, yeah. if if a person has a belief, like we just said, if a person believes. That these awliya are going to help you. They're going to do intercession for you. That you can go to their graves and do sacrifices for them and other things. And make vows to them. These kinds of beliefs, if a person has them, you don't pray behind them. If a person has those types of beliefs, of this level of intercession with graves and that type of thing, then the scholars, they say, avoid those people. Don't pray in those mosques. Find other masajid. Even other masajid, they might have some innovations in them. Could be some people who are doing some bid'ah, but it's not as bad as that. Maybe they have some other bid'ah, doing some other things. But as long as the aqidah is not this bad, then pray behind some other people. But people who have aqidah to this level, graves and awliya and shafa'ah and intercession, this type of belief and making dua to them and asking them to take a dua to Allah. That type of aqidah, you shouldn't pray behind those types of people. Find other masajid. If a person does bid'ah but not shirk, is it okay to pray behind them? That's what we just said now. If the bid'ah is, uh, I mean, the scholars, they differentiate the different types of bid'ah. Sometimes a bid'ah might be something, uh, an innovation, which is not of the severity that, you're, uh, that, the per- that it's Mukaffirah, for example, that it causes the person to be, uh, fall into disbelief, or it's an action of disbelief. Sometimes there could be some Bid'a that somebody's doing. Maybe some of these Masajid, not all of them may be. Pure properly upon Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. They have some errors, they have some mistakes, they have some bid'ah. But as long as it's not to the level of these types of affairs, as the scholars say, then you can still pray behind them. And the prayer is still correct and valid. Oh, uh, well, do you know when Islam first came with people forbidden to go to the graveyard for a certain amount of time? Hmm. Is that correct? Correct. There's a hadith, when Islam first came, when it was first revealed, the Prophet ﷺ used to forbid the people from going to graveyards. Why? Because there was a risk people may fall into shirk. That's one of the main ways shirk started at the beginning. At the time of Nuh ﷺ, they used to go to the graves. So in the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, ala The Prophet ﷺ said, I used to forbid you from going to the graves. But now go to them. Because it is sunnah to make the du'a. There is proper du'a and salam that you give to the people. Not the intercession and shafa'ah. So the proper sunnah, he said, go do it. It reminds you of the hereafter. Reminds you of death. But in the beginning, he used to prevent them. Until they learnt the aqidah properly, then he said, you can go. Go. Hmm. There's there's a narration yes when the angels they said we'll crush the mountains if you want etc but then he, he didn't do it that that all that narration shows the size and the strength and the might of the angels that they could have even crushed the mountains if they wanted. They have, they have a name the, angel? the names of those angels, Allah alam. I don't know if there was any names for those angels, Allah you You find that in the books of Sirah, when the Prophet went and then uh, the people they uh, expelled him from that place. And then the angels they came. So we leave it there, and inshallah we'll carry on next week at quarter past seven. Inshallah, ta'ala.